Hey, Northwest Arkansas, welcome to another episode of Hey, Hey, NWA. Now, this week on Hey, Hey, NWA, we got to sit down with Rafael Rios of mm. Yeo's Mexican Grill. What a dude. Yes. And this has been such a long time coming. This interview mm-hmm. is inevitably going to happen. I I am there all the time. Yeah. Uh, Zach is not, but only because he's limited because he lives in Springdale. Correct. And... Man, this place has blossomed from a food truck to also having a physical location to experimenting with different types of Mexican cuisine in Northwest Arkansas and is really thoughtful about their food. And we'll dive a little bit more into that in the episode itself. But we were thrilled to sit down and talk with Rafael. Because Yayo's is kind of part of your being a part of in Bentonville and Northwest Arkansas as a whole, Yayo's is fundamental in your development in being a part of this community. Yes. I many times just went by myself, especially when I moved here and knew zero people. Mm-hmm. And oh, it was really funny. My brother actually came back in town one time and he had never been to Yayo's and he lived here for two years before moving to New York. And he was like, what's this place? And I'm like, are you serious? Did you immediately pack his bags and tell him to get out of your house? Yeah, I almost punched him square in the face. (laughs) Very aggressive response. Absolutely. But yeah, Yayo's has been very fundamental to my Northwest Arkansas experience. And I was so thrilled to be able to showcase them on this episode. Mm -hmm. So I think we should just dive right into the episode. Just so you know, we have another Ozark superstition. After the episode, stick around. And I don't know what it's about, and that is intentional. Zach, do you want to give us a little hint? Um, We're talking about food. Good. Crops and growing crops. Springtime, when you you plant. Um, We're also talking about the Zodiac. Hmm. I'm curious. And listeners, I hope you are too. But for now, let's dive in with Raphael. Just to give a little bit of context, and this is so indicative of Yeo's, this interview was recorded in Yayo's uh, on an off day, but still people were in the background having a good time and grabbing chips and drinks and whatnot. And so if there's a little bit of a bustle and a hustle behind, and that's because that's the way Yayo's always is. It's always a good time and it's always welcoming. So without further ado, we're going to get started. Hey, really though, check out the end of the episode. I'll tell you the best time to grow your weed. You're done. Marijuana. Hey, friends. Welcome back to another episode of Hey, Hey, NWA. And we are sitting in Yayo's Mexican Grill in Bentonville with Rafael Rios, the owner and creator of Yayo's. I imagine that's your title. <laughs> yeah. What do you What do you call yourself? I, I'm not sure if I'm a creator. I'm 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 definitely owner. Okay. <laughs> uh, I, I'm a I'm a person that has dreams, and I, I try to uh, just uh, share those. <laughs> gotcha. I, I don't know. I don't know that I'm a creator. Gotcha. 
Well, we're sitting here in Bentonville, in Yeos, uh, in your new location, which is gorgeous. Yeah, I think the key preposition was in Yeos because, yeah. you know, we are in the new location, mm-hmm. as opposed to the food truck, which we would not be in. We would be outside. Yeah. So it's very key. <laughs> yeah. I just wanted to point that out real fast. So, Raphael, what is your role here at Yeos? What, what do you do here? So what we're trying to do at this point... Um, this is uh, something that we were working on for a, for quite some time. Uh, we're trying to change the culture, the 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 way people perceive Mexican cuisine mm-hmm. uh, and Mexican food. Period. Uh, and we want to try try to showcase the the simplicity of Mexican food and. And, and just show people that we tr- we truly care. I uh-huh. mean, we we care about what we're doing. We care about uh, what people put in their mouths, and we're um, we're just we're focused on sustainability. We're focused on uh, making sure that uh, our food is conscious, that is is a, a, a of good quality, and and just we're happy to be here. <laughs> yeah, for sure. So what do you think the common perception is that you're fighting against, I guess, or just trying to revolutionize? I, I, think, I think people has historically perceived Mexican food as unhealthy. Hmm. Uh, they've perceived Mexican food as something that is, has no science. So it has taste, but it has no science. I mean, it doesn't, it's not a, a complex cuisine by any means. Um, but it can, it, it, but it can be um, quite an experience, and uh, we want to change that. Uh, we want to make sure that when people come in here, they 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 come for the food, they come for the chips, but they come for the guacamole or whatever it is that they come for, and feel good about eating it, um, and not say, "Well, I cannot eat." I don't know a chimichanga, or I don't know what a chimichanga is, by the way. But uh, <laughs> <laughs> but, but but some refried beans, and say, hey, well, I, I don't know because I'm gonna be having to go for a five mile run afterwards. Uh-huh. <laughs> you know, something like that. What would you say? This you said you don't know what a chimichanga is. Can you make the <laughs> distinction for people between like a Tex-Mex Mexican food mm-hmm. and like what you're doing here? With Mexican food, I, I, I think uh, it's quite simple. Uh, we are focusing on simple food with less, uh, I don't know, dairy products like cheese or mozzarella or or cheddar or um, or sour cream, which we do have. But it's like um, we're focusing on artisan-made foods. Um, you know, in the case of chimichangas, we we don't have those in Mexico. <laughs> <laughs> we, uh, we we've never I never heard of those until I came to the United States. And in 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 Tex-Mex, uh, obviously, it, it, there's a lot of great food. Uh, obviously, I have nothing against that. Uh-huh. But it's not someone like myself is not going to take me home. It's just going to take me to Texas. <laughs> yeah. You know, Texas. Yeah. Or it only halfway. gets you halfway there. Yeah. It, it only gets me halfway there, yeah. in my opinion. Right. It's, it's a very personal opinion. Gotcha. Huh. That's fascinating. I just have never conceived of the thought that, like, the Mexican food that you can get anywhere, you know, where you go somewhere and you get, like, a 
Steven special or a poncho special or whatever yeah. it is. It's yeah. the it's the chicken cheese something and with rice. a mustache and sombrero, huh? <laughs> <laughs> yeah, it's just like that is from. It seems like that is and correct me if I'm wrong. An American imagination about what a Mexican cuisine is, rather than you know truly keeping to the heart of what Mexican cuisine is. Yes. So. Well, and how do you think that happened? How do you think that, I guess, things got so lost along the way? I don't know. Well, well, it's it. I, I just think there's a, sto- a history that goes, you know, many, many years ago. But um, it's uh, it was the target audience that uh, at some point, uh, you know, people had and they wanted to please other people and... And I think it was people was confused. <laughs> they were confused, and it, and it just it creates something. Um, it's kind of like an evolution of food as well. Um, you know, in my in my case, if I come from Mexico and I'm trying to recreate a mole, for instance, mm-hmm. um, it, it's not going to be easy for me to come up with those products, find them here, um, because it's not. Uh, it's it's not available everywhere, so you got to modify and you got to you got to play around with the, your avail, available resources and products and come up with something similar or at least close to what you were trying to do or, or were trying to eat. Yeah. So, can you give us an example of a dish where you've had to substitute or c- find creative ways to produce that dish? when you're not in like your home setting, like you're in Arkansas, what, what is an example of a dish where you've had to do that sort of thing, you know, and, and when you do have to do that sort of thing, how do you go about doing it? Okay. I, I would, I wouldn't say a dish. I would just go with a product. Um, okay. in the case of tortillas, um, you know, I, I when I was born, I, I remember nixtamalizing every, Every time that we made tortillas, we had to cook the corn and we had to take it to the mill and and then we make beautiful looking tortillas that tasted like heaven. Um, well, that wasn't the case when I came to the United States. It, it, it was all, it's either a process and there's a big brand out there. Can, you, can I say the brand? <laughs> mm-hmm. there's, a, there, there's big brands out there that, are, that, that have processed uh, corn and milled and dehydrated and, and it goes through the whole process. But... Um, in the case of tortillas, that's something that's that you don't get good ones everywhere. So that's a main. It's kind of like pizza and marinara sauce, or you know, or, or good bread. Does it give you the same experience? No, it doesn't. Uh, so finding those key products like milled corn or nixtamalized corn or a good tortilla that's made from scratch is gonna make the, the whole the difference. Um, all the difference in the world. So. Yeah. Uh, well, it's stuff like that um, that will make it, make us go look for other things. Well, yeah, and I would say that definitely comes across in all the products here. But before diving too much into um, what you are now, could you just give us the journey, just as a whole? How did how did this place even come to be? How did the food truck even start as an idea? And yeah, well, what started uh, um, it? I was in the military, so f- from 1997 to 2013, I spent active duty in the military, um, and I had to leave 
after my last deployment to Afghanistan, so um, I didn't know I didn't have a job. So before that, though, um, uh, I was driving through Northwest Arkansas to visit a friend uh, of the family in California through Texas. So I made a stop in Texas and in Vela Vista. I stopped in Vela Vista and and I got one of those real estate magazines and was uh, I was shocked to see the the cost of living here was or the cost of housing was so amazing uh-huh. uh this was in 2008 i believe 2006 2008 um and i figured man this is this is amazing so uh, what i did was uh shortly after that roman my brother uh, he moved here uh, because he did some research and he found out there's there's plenty of opportunities here um so I went home and told my family, hey, uh, I think I'm going to move to Arkansas when I leave the military. And they're like, well, you're crazy. <laughs> Who goes there? Who goes to Arkansas? What's, go- what's over there? <laughs> and yeah. Good question. And, and, yeah, well, and it, as it is the case with a lot of people that, that came from out of the state. Um, so finally, we say, okay, well, we're going to go. Uh, and the entire family... There's seven of us siblings. Mom and dad drove here the exact same day in a big caravan. It looked like a circus. Oh my gosh. Uh, with, you know, moving trucks and 1990 Toyota trucks that were, could barely move. And, uh-huh. uh, and we bought, uh, everyone purchased homes and with the, uh, the sale of a property that we had in California. Every one of us moved to, uh, to our own houses. Wait, with that sale, you mm-hmm. all moved to your yes. own house? <laughs> <laughs> yeah. Okay, if that doesn't say the property values <laughs> here, I don't know what does. Yeah. Wow. So Incredible. So, so, so that, okay, so that takes me back again to the beginning of this, uh, this answering your question. So 2012, I uh, decided that the military, well, the military decided that I was no longer fitted for that because I, I, I've been injured and I, I couldn't do certain things anymore. So uh, I left, met Daniel Hintz and Andy Green, uh, two of my most favorite people here in, in the area. And they, you know, we talked and they gave me the opportunity to start a food truck. Hmm. By then, the family had already had, had been doing farming uh, through Rio's family farm, and you know, it was just like one thing after another. We, we, it, people started liking what we were doing, and and they embraced the fact that we were trying to do something different, and they embraced the fact that we were people looking for opportunities, and 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 faithful to our to what we were to our goals, faithful to family, faithful to the community, and. The results were amazing. So I started the food truck, my wife and I. First year, we cried just about every day. Like, <laughs> like we'd go home and just cry. Like, <laughs> like, like, oh, like babies. Uh, $39,000 total sales. That means, that does not mean revenue. Mm-hmm. So yeah. it was really bad. And we, you know, we, we did a lot of praying. And, and we decided to stick around for our second year, which made all the difference in the world. Um, by then, people knew about Rio's family farm and what we were doing, sustainability efforts, um, and you name it. We, we, we did it all. 
groundbreaking for everything we've done so far is is a key to to having a, a whole community behind us and, and, and make sure that we give back is, is, is key. Well, and something that's so clear um, throughout the journey and just knowing where you are now, um, like hard work has been like a pretty central theme and you've had a lot of hard work and discipline um, in this and it shows. So no. just wanted to say that real fast. Um, but yeah, so being a food truck around here, um, what is that like? And also, was there a culture of food trucks here when you first set up the food truck? I, I believe Northwest Arkansas is still behind, even now, um, with that culture. But um, I, we were not the first food truck, but we were definitely one of the first food trucks here. Uh, when we started, Crepes Paulette had started, I think, maybe a year before. And so did Big Rub. Big Rub Barbecue was uh, um, a, a li- little bit less than a year before us, but uh, f- as far as Hispanic, uh, we we were the first ones in downtown Bentonville, uh, mm. a- and this is one. I think this is one one reason why it was hard not just for us but for Crabs Paulette and for and for Big Rub. It was just the culture was not there. People, I'll be honest, I thought people saw food trucks as a substandard um, culinary experience huh. uh, initially until they tried it and then they liked it and then they saw they went to maybe a big city and they saw massive amounts of food trucks everywhere that provided good quality food and then they started seeing a little different mm. uh, um, I, I, there was no not very many food trucks at the time at all and so, I mean, did you see yourselves as, I guess, pioneers in that sense? And w- did people catch on? I mean, I've n- there are clearly more food trucks than, you know, Big Rub and Crazy mm-hmm. Pilot and yourself uh, out there currently. And so, they, And speaking of all of those, all of them have moved into, you know, brick and mortar locations. Without giving up their food truck. Without giving up yeah. their food truck, too. But there have been a lot of other ones spring up as well. Right. So, go ahead. I I, I think uh, it, having a diverse culinary program, a diverse, uh, you know, different, so many options is is so many is so much better than not many options at all. Mm-hmm. So, uh, the the food truck scene and, and the culinary scene period in Northwest Arkansas has grown tremendously since we started. We've I've seen, uh, you know, unfortunately, I've seen a lot of them come and go. But I've also seen good, good quality, uh, amazing um, chefs and amazing people come behind these food trucks and start something really, really good. Um, you know, something that offers uh, a purpose for people uh, or, or offers something that a product that they want to learn about mm-hmm. and they want to know. And that's what we're, we've always been about. Gotcha. I'm curious about the sustainability side of this as you talk about the the farm and you just talk about the food truck and the restaurant you know in general you talk about sustainability efforts can you just talk a little bit about what those sustainability efforts are and how you go about being a sustainable sustainable farm or sustainable restaurant in Arkansas yeah. or just what it means to be a business that 
somehow manages to also be sustainable and either reduce their carbon footprint or whatever it is that yeah. you guys focus on? I, th I think uh, I, I'm going to focus a little bit more on lo the local aspect of okay. our, our, um, our operation. So we started the Rios Family Farm thinking we were just going to make something for the family. And then that trickled and that, that opened so many doors for us. Um, but using utilizing local products, that means you 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 get to know your product, and people, if you if you uh, expose this product to the people and tell them, look, I'm growing this locally, and it's a great product. I'm not using any pesticides, or I'm not using any uh, chemicals, or uh, and here is the result. Mm -hmm. Um, and people try it, and they see the difference. Um, then you got these people to be on your side. So I, I, I think us, on a seasonal basis, we can be up to 75% sustainable, meaning from March or April through late November, um, excuse me, to the beginning of November, we can reach at 75% sustainability hmm. with our produce. Hmm. Um, and people like that i mean it's now you having to uh, work on on keeping some of these funds in the community now you you got one or two people that you're employing um and the, the money stays here yeah now we you you're actively helping your community by providing something local and more important uh, responsible farming practices uh, collecting this compost that we take, you know, the very same product that we take to some of these restaurants or utilize ourselves goes back to the farm as compost material. Yeah. Um, so it's a, it's a life cycle. I mean, it, it really, it's, it's something that could change a person's life. Um, you, you know, you teach your, your kids or you teach someone else or you teach, you know, some students from, uh, from a elementary school or a middle school about composting and, and how to uh, reuse some of the stuff that we take from the farm. Um, it's amazing. And, and it creates a conscious, it, it creates a, a, a culture on them as well. So I, I just think it's great uh, to be moved. Yeah. Well, and it's, people. it's fantastic to see in action because I feel like so many times when you hear about sustainability, it's not as much putting to practice in your brain. I've, I feel like I was always taught about sustainability in school, but I never saw it fleshed out. Mm -hmm. And so the fact that Yeo's is doing this and you're doing this and you know you have an incredible product and um, atmosphere and experience that you provide, mm -hmm. all the while being sustainable and supporting mm -hmm. local and being in your community, that speaks volumes, just the fact that you are a successful business doing that. Mm -hmm. So. Yeah, that's that's so important. Yeah, it's it's important. Uh, we uh, just recently we went to uh, uh, we were invited to Tatum School um, mm -hmm. as guests, and we had some of the students actually visit us at the farm. Yeah, and, and we did. We don't do it very often, just because we live in a in a place where we have still neighbors. It's not it's not a very private place. Gotcha. But um, we 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 had these young uh, ch uh, kids over, and we. We teach them, we taught them how to turn compost. 
Yeah, I love this idea. I love this idea that you and, have a bunch of middle schoolers turning compost. And they were not very happy initially. <laughs> Wait, so you got to describe to the listener, what is the process of turning compost? Well, you just, we're doing very traditional methods. So um, we literally have these kids line up with shovels. <laughs> <laughs> Line up with shovels and start turning this, but it, the smell, I mean, obviously it's decomposing uh, and, and it's just not a very good smell. So, but, but to, make, to, to make this an experience for them and to make them appreciate and to teach them about the process, to teach them about why it's important for us as a community to do stuff like this, it's important for them to be exposed. And, and what I found is 99.99% uh, of these students um, and, and their teachers and everybody else was super happy to have learned something that most of them take for granted. Mm-hmm. And that is the case with a lot of people, a lot of our, in our communities that we still have, we still have a lot of work to do. Yeah. And, and I think it's great. We're going to continue to do that. Uh, plus, it's free labor. <laughs> take that any day how how uh rafael did you get into composting and the idea of being sustainable with the farm that or the restaurant was this something that you grew up with and this is just like a necessity of having a farm or was this something that you some information you came across and it was like oh this is a good idea or a good practice how did you personally come across some of these practices i, I think uh in my in my case i i, I don't really i did it it started out of necessity okay um but then it quickly turned into uh more something more of a passion huh. for providing something better uh so what we found when we came to northwest arkansas it was the, it was the soil was not really suited for for crop farming, I mean carrots and and, and root vegetables did okay, but sal- uh, salad items and arugulas and misunas and stuff like that, uh, we really had a hard time. Um, so we wanted to in- increase production, increase the quality of of of, of our product, and um, and over the years see what we could do with the the soil that was not suitable for farming. So, do you um, have any idea why the soil wasn't suitable? Was it over farmed, or was it because it was hill country, or what was it? Do you know? I, I think I think it was uh, uh, the property where we're at. It, it was used for for hay, and people. I mean, here is it's it's hay. I mean, it, uh, maybe back in the day it was a little bit of other things, but gotcha. Um, so. I just think it needed uh, the soil needed love, and it needed something good to to produce and and we gave it we gave it what we can uh-huh. we still have uh, we still do gotcha yeah. very cool um we have started a composting program with with some of the local restaurants that we take our produce to oh, cool. and in return we've um see this is the the numbers that we we'd like to share uh, our our blackberry patch went from a production of uh, just over 500 pounds um, in this uh, five-row little patch to uh, just over 5,000 uh, pounds Whoa. in just one year. Whoa. So, so it's it tells you 
what good compost can do for the soil. I mean, it's, and it helps everyone. Mm-hmm. And that's such that's such an important part that it helps everyone. Yeah, that's such yeah, a sustainability thing. You don't have any losers when it comes to like composting because it's like your waste doesn't go off to some landfill and end up in a bag that can't decompose in the bag. It gets cycled back in, and then the farmers have better fertilizer, and you're not using artificial or uh, manufactured mm-hmm. fertilizers. You don't have chemicals in it. It's all carbon going back into carbon, growing yeah. as carbon. It all works together much better. But it's like you said, it's kind of gross. People hate shoveling. <laughs> no, uh, well, trust me, I do. Smells and I know, our, <laughs> and I know our neighbors do too, uh-huh. especially in the summer. Um, yeah. So, uh, I, I I just think that as a community we owe we always owe we're always in debt to someone uh-huh. we're in debt to our community we're in debt to the people that are buying our products and we're committed to having them edu- you know to educating them and what they're they're buying and we were determined that they actually do know the product they're getting and there are children um, they're not very <laughs> how can I say this? They they like farming, but they don't. You know, <laughs> <laughs> it's just that uh, you know being there and you know it's long days and uh, but they they're always learning something. So we want the those children in our family uh, as well as learning those in the in the community to to see to see a future, a brighter future, something that um, that is healthier. And most important, Mexican food that is more conscious, and the people can can come to Yeyos, uh, like as I was saying earlier, for not just because the food is great or the food tastes tastes good, it has a good taste, but it's a it's a different concept of Mexican cuisine, Mexican uh, uh, food, yeah. um, and we are transparent with people, uh, our customers. Uh, we can at any time we can show them the process of uh, milling our corn mm-hmm. or cooking our corn yeah uh, our collaborations with mama z's and and brightwater um you know it's just we want to be transparent we want people to love from like really really love mexican food and and cherish those traditional methods of cooking it i know you've won one person over and that's peyton for sure Peyton, I can't tell you how many times in a week Peyton talks about yayos. Um, <laughs> Peyton, absolutely. Actually, Peyton showed up today when you guys were closed, uh, hoping yes. that you guys would be open so he could bring all his new uh, co-workers here. Oops. <laughs> but he, uh, Peyton talks about yayos constantly because what you guys are doing is incredibly impressive and yeah. new for this area in terms of like creating really excellent Mexican food. Um, could you talk maybe a little bit about Peyton? You, yeah, you could just talk about Peyton. That'd be great. Well, I'm right here. Talk, I'll just walk away for a second. <laughs> if you could talk a little bit about like your role that you, now that you're in 8th Street Market, can you talk about some of the collaboration that's going on between you and Brightwater and maybe Bike Rack or uh, Markham and Fitz, Fitz next door? Or yeah, um, how are you finding yourself in this space? I, I find myself thinking, um, 
maybe I'm selfish, but I think I'm an ambassador to to our community. And I, I like I said at the beginning of of our interview here, I I, I want people to perceive uh, to see Mexican food different. So in an effort to do that, uh, we created collaborations with um, just to name a few. Um, with Mama Z's Tortilla Factory, which is giving uh, us a hundred percent in creating and and um, providing the best corn products that we have in Northwest Arkansas um, and and beyond. I promise you that. Uh-huh. Uh, so Mama Z's, we get together. We say, Hey, how are we going to give these people the experience that we really are truly looking for? We don't want them to just go to Yeo's and you know it's just another another place right. uh, it's just another type of tortilla that's cruncher or thicker or whatever it's like how do we tell people hey this is Mexico this is you know this is us like really mm-hmm. <laughs> okay so and that's Mama Z's is one uh, we have ice cream from Melate Chocolate. The, the family, uh, Blanca Barajas, is the um, partner's name. I call her partner. Uh, and Fabiola Barajas is her daughter. We've been talking about bringing the traditional artisan-made ice cream um, to, to, to make the experience even better. So now, uh, do you have... The the tortilla factory. Now you have the al pastor trompos. The you know the the the, the grill on site. Uh, everything uh, that is going to make your experience better. And then you come and finish up with some artisan made ice cream that is also local, that is also helping other families, that is um, is going to help keep some of the the money in Northwest Arkansas. Um, and then. Um, just just to name that because I think it's important um, and then we have chef Vince Pinato for instance at Brightwater which is an amazing person we have um, uh, the director Glenn Mack um, and everyone at Brightwater inter- so interested in helping us um, uh, uh, reach those goals of, of providing something very very unique and authentic so what we created was another collaboration uh, with Bratwater and Chef Pinato to say, hey, I'm just, I don't want to have Teleta bread from any, any store. I don't want to have the same Teleta bread that everybody else has in Northwest Arkansas to make my sandwiches. Mm-hmm. So how do I make it better? Maybe not price or cost effective, but it is an experience i want people to have the, that experience i want people to live here and say oh my gosh i've never had this sandwich type of bread before in a mexican store is this the right one or is the uh, is or is the, are these guys wrong so i want people to go home and think well that was a very very different sandwich so but but this is the closest I swear, I mean, this is the closest Teleta bread that I've had to like Mexico City, Puebla, Tlaxcala, um, Toluca, or my homestead of Michoacan. So this is where all these collaborations are going. Uh, we have, they call me the chorizo being made um, 
uh, we're working on chorizo with uh, also Brightwater, our very own recipe. Um, we're going to work on canning and jarring and preserving. So all of this is an, it's an ongoing um, uh, dream that I don't think is ever going to end. <laughs> yeah. I think one thing in particular stands out to me when you talk about that. Um, and it's the fact that you can put a face with each of the products that you guys make. Mm-hmm. That the, the ability on your part to name every single person who's involved in the process mm-hmm. of creating this experience at Yayo's. You, have, you know the person who makes the ice cream. You know the people who make the tortillas. You know the people who mm-hmm. produce the bread. It's, it's incredible because when you talk about sustainability, I've learned that knowing where your food comes from and having the right to know where your food comes from is like incredibly important. And so when you start talking about being able to put faces with products, that's incredibly important for not just creating a culture and a community around your food, but also in understanding how your um, investment in a, you know, a dinner like a single dinner is affecting the all these families and all of these local places and it's i i haven't known anything about this about yayos just you know being here um but learning all this is like incredibly like exciting to know mm-hmm. that like when yeah. i buy ice cream at the bar right there I'm, you know, investing in a family that's here in Arkansas. Yeah, it's you funny know. you say investing because that, that's exactly how, how I see it. Okay. I'm, I'm investing in a community. I'm investing in myself. I'm investing in my family and my children. Mm-hmm. And, and, and the way I'm, the main way I'm investing is I'm letting people know that with every purchase they make, they're helping Miss Blanca Barajas at Relate Chocolate and their family and their employees or Luis Cepeda at, uh, uh, you know, just like you were saying, I know their names, uh, uh, Luis Peda at Mama Z's or uh, the culinary school or mm. or a farming operation. So, but but in uh, in reality, what it, it really does is it adds value. It it, it it gives it the value that we want. Right. Because people get to know what happens. Uh huh. So people will appreciate that. Yeah. Our customers will be like, oh, well, that's interesting. Yeah. Let me go and check out what these guys are really doing. Mm-hmm. And then they come and all they got to do is they want something. They want to know where one of their products is coming from. We'll let them know. Yeah. Uh, in fact, we want them to find out. We want them to ask us about anything. And we'll be glad to answer because that's, that's how we want to do our business. Gotcha. What are some things you're really excited about for Yayos coming down the line? What are some things that you maybe have dreams of doing or are in works about doing? What are some things that are that excite you, Rafael, about Yayos and the future of Yayos? Well, and even having now both the physical location and the food truck, it's not that you've moved on from the food truck. You still have the food truck. Mm-hmm. So I'm curious about how all of that comes into play, being a multifaceted uh, mm-hmm. Restaurant. Yeah. Well, I, first of all, I hope I don't cannibalize my my business, um, <laughs> <laughs> but I, I don't think it, I don't think we will. I, I think we've we've um, we're doing a good enough job to to keep both places busy. 
my goal and my vision is that I can bring this actually to uh, the entire Northwest Arkansas. I, I, I don't know. I have, there's something about Siloam Springs that I really love. Mm. Huh. Um, so maybe I'd like to go there. And obviously Fayetteville and it just all of Northwest Arkansas. I want, I want to be there. I want to bring this food. I want to bring this experience to everybody. Uh, if they don't have the means of coming to us, we want to come to them. Yeah. So, uh, I definitely have see expansion. Uh, uh, obviously, we have to wait until the dust settles, and we got to focus on doing an amazing job and 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 providing the best service and best customer service that uh, characterizes us for, uh, over the years. So, I, I just see us um, expanding to. I don't think I want to expand too too big, but I definitely want to bring this experience to to more places than it was Arkansas um, as long as we we can do a good job so we got to make sure that that's a priority we have to uh, keep consistent with the product and the quality and our customer service which uh, is my passion gotcha yeah very cool very cool mm. well if we can just talk about food for just a little bit yeah. more <laughs> um, gosh what are some awesome recommendations you have on off your menu or off a secret menu that you might have. I, I don't know if there's a secret menu. I just made that up, but what would you recommend? I, I highly recommend, um, trying our fish tacos. We're going to start, um, we've, we've been working on fish and seafood recipes for the longest time. Whoa. So I can, uh, I can tell you guys what's coming ahead uh, very, very soon is, uh, some ceviches and some uh, some seafood items, some mm. fish tacos. Um, I, I and the reason why I, ha- I want to have fish tacos, I had the best fish taco experience in Tijuana, in Mexico, uh, in 1989. Whoa, uh, wow, those yeah. stuck around yeah. that long. I'm a little older than you, buddy. <laughs> but but it's all. It, but the fact that it's like implanted in your okay, brain. That's well, what I meant. Uh-huh. But yeah, in 1989, uh, Dad and uh, he used to be. Uh, very much into work and he still is so once in a while once in like once a year he would take us somewhere and this uh, somewhere where he was gonna have fun not really us but he <laughs> so so he would go to Tijuana and we, he used to uh, the Greyhound races were very popular in Tijuana and he, you could go in there and if you were lucky you could make a hundred bucks or two hundred or maybe more so um this particular year, we went to Tijuana, and we had, uh, in the middle of a plaza, I don't remember where it was, but Roman and I were 14, 15 years old. Um, and he took us to this little plaza, and to this little square, and there was live music playing, and 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 he bought some fish tacos that um, I I tried them, and... Um, you know, just like in a movie uh, where the kid just goes and uh, has wide open eyes and just like music in the background and all this good stuff. Mm -hmm. So I was like, oh my God. So at that time, I was like, you know, Roman and I are thinking, what does he have? Um, You know, can we make it this at home and blah, blah, blah. So we, we, that stuck to our heads. And uh, I think I recreated that over 20 some years really? later. Oh my gosh. Uh, really? So I, I want people to have that experience. Uh, but anyway, so 
more uh, more menu items we are definitely going to start working on a little bit more uh, more of a seasonal uh, menu when it comes to root vegetables and um, you know a little bit more salads in the summer definitely some ice cream some desserts that are going to be improved or uh, you know uh, introduced uh, to you guys so I mean yeah, this we're, we're really excited we, we just got we got so much work to do a lot of fine-tuning obviously for for the you know due to the fact that we're, we're, we're new at this but we're definitely not new at treating people right and uh-huh. making sure that we <laughs> that, that we uh, we're not new at at finding ways of making making people happy so we're gonna make sure that we do that uh, so look out for some really good cool changes some menu additions and and definitely margaritas and mezcal any any chimichangas on the way <laughs> what's a chimichanga <laughs> <laughs> Uh, help him out here. Wait. <laughs> we got to point this out. So your mezcal, you need to talk about that. Okay. So it's a simple um, thing that has been very complex. <laughs> okay. Simple thing that has been very complex. Okay. So mezcal, we are focused. Okay. We have the longest or the largest selection of mezcal in West Arkansas. And mezcal is what for our listeners? Just to give a little definition. It, it, mezcal is a spirit. Um, it's, uh, it existed obviously uh, uh, quite a few hundred years before tequila did. Uh, tequila is actually a type of mezcal made out of blue agave. Um, but mezcal is, it can be made up of up to 40 other different varieties of mezcal, mostly in Oaxaca, in the central state of Oaxaca, uh, Michoacan. Uh, which is in my home state, uh, is coming along with production. But um, what we, uh, we're, we're offering artisan-made, meaning uh, the agave plant is um, harvested. Um, in 100% of the cases, it gets cooked on the ground with coals and lava mm. rocks and for four, uh, four to up to seven days. And then there's a horse that usually comes and is tied to this wheel, and the, the wheel turns, and then it presses the juice and uh, distilled in clay. Uh, in most cases, uh, sometimes double distilled, uh, as it is the case with uh, Gracias a Dios Mezcal from Oaxaca. And then some of these are distilled in copper. So, well, all the uh, mezcals are smoky. Uh, not all of them are really smoky, so it depends. Um, but it's a, the typical character, characteristic of, of mezcal. Um, it's amazing. Uh, it doesn't give you the, the, um, the initial uh, shocking experience of tequila. And it's not really meant for taking shots is make for it's made for sipping it's well, made to have an experience kind of like whiskey or yeah there's or like a bourbon. tingling on your yeah. tongue yeah yeah it, it, so it's a, it's amazing it's a it's quite an experience to be able to drink it uh, and 100% of the mezcal bottles that we have is artisan made so meaning there's a maestro mezcalero a, a, a master of mezcal making um, associated with the specific bottle that comes from different regions, just like wine does. Huh. So, 
Is that? I mean, I can go on and on. <laughs> uh, it, it's just—it's amazing. It's an amazing drink. It's uh, a, a one in a heck of an experience for people to come try it. Uh, and if you're adventurous enough, we always have a chapulín or or a chinicuile, which are the agave worms. In the case of chinicuiles, and chapulines are grasshoppers. Um, mm, I <laughs> wanted to try that. <laughs> like we were, Peyton and I were talking about coming up here and talking to you. And uh, I was like, because I've seen the ice cream with the grasshoppers in it. And I was like, I have to try that. Like, I have to get my hands on that and try <laughs> that one day. But I didn't realize you also do it with the mezcal. Yeah. Um, cool. Very cool. I'm fascinated. I don't know anything about mezcal. So it's nice to hear about it. Um, up to 40 different varieties, like I said. Um, mm. uh, tequila is always going to be exclus- made exclusively with the gl- blue agave. Mm-hmm. And mezcal is everything else. Uh, some of them, some of them are wild agaves that, in the majority of the cases, take about twelve years to mature. Mm. So you, you're looking at twelve years before you can. That is like wine. Yeah, Man. it's it, yeah, it's very much like wine. Interesting. Um, and depending on where the region of Mexico it comes from, it's gonna be uh, the taste of clay or, or wooden. I call it campfire because uh, it just smells like. You know, you're having a campfire and then a storm comes and then that smell. Um, this, uh, have you finished your? I have finished one. <laughs> smell that for me, seriously. Like, it does smell like a campfire. It what does. is it? It's like a. Here, I'm gonna pass it to it, Zach. It's a. It's a. It it takes you places. And it does. For for the majority of the people, it it almost like it smells like. A saddle, uh, yeah. or like a leather. Yes, it yeah. smells leather. Yeah, yeah. So, but it's it's that experience that you will never get with tequila. Oh, of course not. Yeah, no way. So these are called copitas. Copitas are made of clay as well. Um, pretty impressive. Awesome, just another unique part of Yeos. I had no idea. Um, I guess lastly, I got to be curious. What is the for our listeners? There is a giant luchador mask on the wall with neon lights around his face. Uh, what is his name? Oh, man. that's So far, that's it's the tough. luchador. But, okay. you know, there was a person that inspired me to have that uh, here. Uh, he he dressed up as, a, as Nacho in, in one of the Crystal Bridges. <laughs> uh, so he was such an inspiration to me that... I just had to go with a luchador mask in here. You know, well, he was probably masked, so we'll never know yep. who it was. Wow. <laughs> yeah, Nacho Libre. Nacho Libre. That's yeah. That's so but uh, <laughs> but uh, I think it's, uh, quite honestly, uh, luchadors have been part of the, the culture uh, in Mexico. Uh, I think it adds to the, to the experience. Um, this was actually... Uh, uh, another one of those collaborations with the Walton family and that um, that we're very appreciative about. Um, it, it definitely adds to the experience of coming here and it's become a very popular little corner for photography and it brings people in and everybody wants to to have a, a little photo with the luchador. And we have taken one. Peyton has stood in front of that yeah, I have. for his birthday photo. That's, That's okay. Because <laughs> I came here on my birthday. That's not a surprise to anybody. No, it's not. <laughs> no, it's not. 
So um, I, I, I just want to say thank you guys um, really uh, from the bottom of my heart. Uh, I think we're in a, uh, we're, we've been very blessed. Uh, I, I, for those listening, I, I want you guys to come over and, and, and see for yourselves uh, what we can do for you. We're not always perfect, but we're going to strive for that. And that's, that's what really counts to me is that we do learn from our mistakes. We do learn from... Uh, from the people that come to visit us, we want to know about you. We want to, um, and we want you to have an amazing experience. And, and you know, this is the soul of Mexico, the mm-hmm. El Alma de Mexico. Uh, we can't wait to have everybody here and, and be part of this, uh, this evolution of, of Mexican food. And uh, we hope we're not the only ones that, that adopt this, uh, this business model uh, mm-hmm. and that we can, we can grow, um, mm-hmm. not just yayos, but you know everyone. Uh, yeah. I think, I think we're in, an, in a in a very uh, uh, beautiful part of the country with with a beautiful community, and we are so blessed and so happy to be part of it. Cool. Thank you, Rafael. This has been really informative and really great. Mm-hmm. Uh, Peyton and I have talked about having you on for the longest time because we really, really love what you're doing. And we, I mean, every time we see you, it's like, look, it's Rafael and he's doing really cool stuff. And we love it a whole lot. And we love Yayos. And um, it's been like really exciting to see to see you guys grow and to get into a new location and all this sort of thing. So it's been a lot of fun, and uh, we're so glad to get to talk to you about it because it's. Well, I a appreciate blast. that. I yeah. appreciate your comments. I appreciate your your support. I, uh, in the case of Peyton, I remember him meeting him some years ago, and he would always go and get this campechanos and the burritos, and and he would sweat, and uh, you know he would want the spicier salsa, <laughs> and he would sweat again, and you know it's just one of those things that I, I, I become appreciate acclimated. That. It's I, fine. I just. It's amazing what people do for us. Uh, we are truly rewarded by you guys. Uh, and that's what really makes us who we are. Mm-hmm. It's the people that come visit us. And actually, I really mean that. I really, really do. Good. Yeah. Good. So, so well, thank you. Oh. Awesome. Well, thank you, Rafael. It's been great. And yeah, thanks for joining us. Uh, do we have a designated driver so we can drink more mezcal? <laughs> We'll figure that out later. <laughs> That's where we end it. That's where we end it. Hey, I hope you enjoyed that interview. We're back. Back now. To kind of talk about some things that we enjoyed about the episode and things we're kind of still chewing on after we have recorded that episode. Zach, what do you like about it? Um, I think it's really impressive that there is a business, a... um restaurant in particular that is operating at such a high level of locally sourced stuff. I mean, the fact that he said that they are at 75% sustainable on local um, products is really, really impressive that they are only outsourcing 25% of the stuff that goes into their food and into the restaurant. And you have to consider like some of that is just the sodas they have. Like some of it just is soda. Um, So for that to be like what they're operating at is like really, really incredible. And more so than that, that he's 
he's part of this initiative to get food waste back into the gardens. Like that to me is incredibly impressive that he is working with other restaurants to try to make good use of food waste. Well, and that intentionality overall is really impressive. And also I, I'm thinking, you know, he's he's onto something. When people have this association with Mexican food that it is, I guess, unthoughtful, like he was saying. And also, if now I'm thinking about just all my experiences or what people say about Mexican food, it's almost like the places you get Mexican food are interchangeable. Mm-hmm. You're going to get the same stuff everywhere, but not here. And Rafael and Yeo as a, as a whole, they're really changing that up and they're making Yeo's distinct. And in the process, they're making Mexican food more distinct and thoughtful and sustainable and all of that. And I think this is why people like fast food or fast casual food is because they know they can get the same thing at any place they go. And you don't see like national Mexican restaurant chains, but you know that just about every Tex-Mex restaurant you go to is going to be about interchangeable. So it becomes comfortable. And I think that goes to like speaks kind of to what we address pretty often about trying to get people out of their comfort zones to try some new things and what we bump up against all the time to try to get out of our own comfort zones of trying to experience and engage new and different things uh, to learn about what's going on. But I do think that's one of the, one of the reasons people, you know, continue to return to the Tex-Mex poncho special that everybody knows, even if it has a different name, it's the same everywhere sort of thing. And so to see them like really taking on the task of changing the name of Mexican food in Bentonville is really exciting, as you said. Cool. Well, that was the episode. And now we have our Ozark Superstition. So, Zach, what do we have for Ozark Superstition this week? Yeah. Um, so in Vance Randolph's um, traveling of the Ozarks in the 1930s and 40s, Um, obviously something that came up a lot was the way that people raised their plants and animals. I mean, a lot of people in this area were farmers, you know, um, because everything's so rural, a lot of people could just live off the land. Um, so you, as we've talked about before with the other superstitions and whatnot, um, there's a slew of, um, different superstitions of when to plant and grow your crops. Um, I don't know about Groundhog's Day on Valentine's Day, but we've recently had like a really nice turn towards some nice weather, which has been super duper excellent. I've been enjoying it a whole lot. Um, So maybe we should lean into some of these. Um, But there's some funny stuff in here that I've found about when and why people plant things. So Vance Randolph opens this chapter on crops and plants harvest and um and he says quote the changes of the moon and the signs of the zodiac are very important in determining the best dates for planting certain crops uh he says also it's not just he says it's the changes in the moon and the zodiac but these ozarkers had an imagination about when you planted and under what type of moon you planted um so they would suggest you either plant in the light of the moon or the dark of the moon. So 
the light of the moon is when tell me if I get this wrong, Peyton, but if it's moving from uh new moon to full moon, it's waxing toward a full moon. Correct. That is the light of the moon. The light in the moon is growing. If the oh. moon is waning, if it's moving from full moon back to full darkness and a new moon, that is the dark of the moon. So that doesn't necessarily mean that it's light outside or it's dark outside. Correct. It just it is is it increasing in light or is it decreasing in light? Yes. Got it. Correct. Um so they would tell you generally speaking underground vegetables should be planted under the dark of the moon and plants that sprout above ground should be planted in the light of the moon. So says Ozarkers. Um but then you also had not just the moon, but you also had the zodiacs coming into play. And since we talked about these zodiacs the other day, it makes me rethink the use of these things. Um, so, evidently, these zodiacs and signs of the moon, or the signs of the zodiacs, were really well known amongst Ozarkers. Kind of surprising to me that yeah. they knew and recognized. Um, Signs of the Zodiac. Okay. I can just imagine some Ozarker going up to another one and be like, yeah, what's your sign? Okay, okay, so we're getting there. Okay, good. It, good, it takes, good. If you're going to ask what's your sign, it takes a real weird twist. Okay. Um, okay. So Vance Randolph writes, quote, Almost any hill farmer can make out these signs in the Almanac, the Zodiac, um, even though he cannot read a line of ordinary print. Merchants in the backwoods settlements distribute large calendars in which the phase of the moon and the signs of the zodiac are graphically and plainly represented. So what happens is as they're distributing these calendars to hill farmers, they're looking at these calendars over time, talking to their neighbors, figuring out where on the calendar it's good to plant certain things, right? And so they associate these symbols and images of the zodiac though they can't read they associate these images with a certain time of year which is how the zodiac works but also when is the good time to plant certain crops so they develop this understanding based on these calendars that are distributed and many of them can read them however what's funny about this is to remember some of these zodiacs, obviously they didn't name them by their name um, because they could not read a, read a single line of text, plain text. Um, they started to associate these signs with different parts of the human anatomy. Oh, okay. Um, and so you have kind of like three translations going on. You have the image to the person is one translation. You have a translation from that inside the person's mind from the image to the part of their body that they associate with it. And then you have a third translation from that part of the body to the crop that should be planted as it relates to that part of the body. So it's like on leg day, we plant corn. We know we have figured out how, when to plant corn. It's not on leg day. Okay. It's much funnier than leg day. Good. Okay. So I'm going to run through these real quick and give you kind of the associations of the body and then also along the way some of the things that you might plant during this time. Um, Pisces is related to the feet, and it's for things that grow underground. You'd plant things that grow underground um, 
on because they're under your feet. I, yes, I, I don't guess know. I'm trying to make meaning. Under Pisces. Aquarius is related to the legs. Capricorn is the knees. Sagittarius, the thighs. Scorpio, uh, also called, which I love, the sign of the crawpappy, which is a craydad, crawdaddy, crayfish, baby lobster. Um, it's not a baby lobster. Okay. Uh, Scorpio is related to the sex organs, uh, and that's when you would plant corn. Oh, uh, okay, good. <laughs> uh, Libra is related to the kidneys. Virgo is related to the bowels, and that's when you'd plant beans. Uh, Leo is related to the heart. This one's unfortunate. Cancer is related to the breast. Oh, I don't like that one. It was long before technology yeah. was able to figure that out. Um, Gemini is related to the arms. That's when you plant cucumbers. Uh, Taurus is related to the neck and Aries is related to the head. And that's when you'd plant, plant cabbage or other heading lettuces oh. or heading vegetables. This is very atomically related. I didn't expect this. It's, it's funny and it's, it's interesting. Um, so I'm going to just read through some of the quotes and like some of the times things should be planted. Cause there's some funny stuff in here. Um, alrighty. So here are just some quotes and some little controversies around when to grow your plants. Uh, quote, Mr. CeCe Keller, farm agent in Greene County, Missouri, stirred up a great controversy once by advising farmers to plant their potatoes on March 17th every year with no regard to the signs of the zodiac or the changes of the moon. So he said plant it on March 17th every time. Um, continuing on the quote, one of my neighbors in McDonald County, Missouri, was so horrified at this heresy that he decided not to send his son to the village high school. Quote, if education don't learn a man no better than that, he said, I don't want none of it in my family. End quote. That is quite a quote. I want that tattooed on my forehead. <laughs> if ain't no... If education don't learn a man no better than that, I don't want none of it in my family. That's right. <laughs> it's good. Okay. And it's all because someone said plant your uh potatoes on March seventeenth. And when is potatoes? Is potato what what part of the body is potato? Uh, I would imagine it's feet, Pisces, oh, yeah, underground. Yeah. Right. Uh also grow them in the dark. If you grow them in, or if you plant them in the light, they are said to rot. Another fun fact. Okay. Um another quote. I like this one a lot. It's kind of sweet. Um, quote, there are men in Arkansas who are always careful to plant onions and potatoes on opposite sides of their garden, believing that potatoes will not do well if onions are growing too close. A little boy who asked about this was told that the odor of onions, quotes, make a tater cry its eyes out. <laughs> and potatoes have eyes. Get it? Yes. And also onions make you cry. I like that a lot. I just like the, the idea of onions and just anthropomorphizing onions and potatoes. The odor of onions makes a tater cry's eyes out. Oh, it's so sweet. Okay. They say all beans should be planted in the morning rather than the afternoon. No reason is given. Um, as I said before, potatoes should be dug in the light. Oh, excuse me. I got that backwards. Potatoes should be dug in the light of the moon as they will rot otherwise. Um, this is another fun one. Many hillmen believe, or quote, Many hillmen believe that the size of a cucumber depends on the virility of the man who plants the seed. Cucumbers planted by a woman or an old man never amount to much. Oh my gosh. 
See, and this is, I think this is also funny because this is what we see in contrast to some of the other stuff is men also buy into this one in ways that they swore off in other ones. That's a good point. So you have, I mean, the delusion has uh, ascended to encompass all. Um, (laughs) This is another pretty good one. I just, the quotes in these are just excellent. Once again, these are not ignorant people. They may be uneducated, but the wit that these people have, I think is just top notch. Okay, here's another quote. A feeble-minded person is particularly successful in growing certain crops, and there's an old saying that, quote, it takes a damn fool to raise gourds. (laughs) So you're an idiot to raise gourds, but the only people who can grow gourds are idiots. Oh, so, so it works. they have their place in society. Yes, it works both ways. Um, peppers thrive best if the individual who plants them is angry at the time. Okay. And if a lunatic can be introduced to the planting, so much the better. Either be angry when you plant your peppers, they'll or do be better. Crazy. Or be crazy, and that's even a better situation. Aunt Jane up the road, crazy Aunt Jane with her crazy peppers, just getting angry and... Oh, I can imagine having a crazy pepper lady. Crazy pepper, angry, crazy, angry, crazy pepper lady. Um, it is considered very bad luck to plant sage in one's own garden. Quote the backwoods housewife always calls in a stranger to do this job if possible. Bizarre. Yeah, I don't know what it is what it is about sage. Here we have someone from our very own backyard in Eureka Springs. Otto Ernest Rayburn uh, tells. Vance Randolph that quote once when Valentine's Day fell on a Sunday the people at Kingston Arkansas got up before daylight to plant their lettuce so as to not be seen violating the Sabbath (laughs) so we observe the Sabbath and we think that's really important but we also follow the star signs right yeah because we always always plant our peas in this case, Maybe it was the, lettuce. The devil will also possess you for a week if you plant on the Sabbath. You know, devil's really fickle. It'll get I, you. I, yeah, okay, so the devil has his place in this, but I have no way. Tell me. No, the devil does. Devil has his place in Ozark superstition. Um, we have a different player, um, kind of the opposite side, other end of the spectrum from mm. the dichotomy of the devil, and who might that be? Peyton. God. God, uh, if you're a good Sunday school kid, you would just answer God or Jesus for every question, and, and in right this case, in it works. So here is our last quote, and I love it very much. Um, People who used to raise hemp for cordage, the same weed that is called marijuana by the moderners, say that this stuff is best planted on Good Friday. On Good Friday? Yes. Like the one before Easter? Yep. Oh my gosh. Jesus helps your weed grow. Wow. Who knew? Who knew? knew? And and everybody, you still have time to get that in. We still, Good Friday is still a little bit far from us. Uh, So if you want to go ahead and purchase those seeds. That's incredible. You can start growing those on Good Friday. Good, good Kush Friday. Good, good good Friday. That, That good, good Friday. Oh, that's a good... It's a good way to end it. So uh, there's some 
recommendations for you, Raphael. We know that you grow crops often for your restaurant. Um, I know a lot of those dates have passed, but just watch the stars. They will point you in the right direction towards our dear Lord baby Jesus in a manger who says, grow your Mary Jane on Good Friday. I just made a cross across my body. Um, and Sacrilegious. <laughs> Fantastic. <laughs> Anyway, that's the end of the episode. Thanks for listening this far. Listeners, if you haven't already, like us on Facebook, uh, follow us on Instagram, or follow us on Snapchat. We are Hey Hey NWA for all of those, except for our Instagram, which is Hey Hey NWA Podcast. Also, also. follow Yayo's Mexican Grill and go to Yayo's Mexican Grill because they're incredible and you'll probably see me there. Except on Mondays. Don't go on Monday. Because they're, they're closed. They're closed on Monday. Correct. Just so you know. But they've got breakfast on the weekends. They've got um, all the good stuff. I could stay there forever. You know. So anyway, thank you so much for listening. And we will see you next week. Jesus wants you to grow good weed. Okay. Okay. <laughs>